You're listening to the Inglewood College Podcast. Inglewood College is a ministry of Inglewood Baptist Church in Jackson, Tennessee. We believe that just because this season is temporary doesn't mean it can't be deeply transformative. Love God. Love people. Serve the world. We're in the series. We're finishing out the series. Obviously, this is the last sojourn of the semester, so we're wrapping something up. We've been in the series at the end of the book of John, John 13 through 21, and tonight we're in chapter 21. So uh, go ahead and turn to John chapter 21. We're going to read through John chapter 21 together. If you've got a Bible in front of you, check that out. If you've got a uh, Bible app on your phone or if you want to follow along on the screen, all those options are available to you. So let's read. John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were, there, were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net off ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it's my will that he remain until I come, what's that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. As is usually the case, when we have a little chapter like this, there's always going to be things that we can't cover. There's going to be questions that are raised when you're reading through it like that. Even, even as I was reading through that, I'm like, man, that's going to throw people off. You know, that's going to throw people off. And maybe you had some of those questions as we went along, but... What we're going to do tonight is try to focus on two things, okay, two things with two prayer times to follow each one that we find in this passage. 
in what Jesus is communicating. The first thing I want us to see is this, that we would have nothing apart from Jesus, but we have everything we need in Jesus. You may be thinking, how in the world does that come out of this, this passage? But hopefully we'll, we'll see that along the way. So we have these guys who fished for a living before meeting Jesus and who stayed out on the water all night and they caught nothing. At the end of the night, they had no fish for their efforts. And Jesus shows up in the morning and he tells them to throw the net on the other side and they catch 153 fish. And not only do they catch 153 fish, they get onto the shore, you know, trying to drag this big net full of fish with them. And Jesus already has fish cooking on a fire and bread. And so he has, he's provided this fish and bread and it's like, did Jesus go fishing? No, I don't, I don't know. Where did this come from? And it's, it's kind of reminiscent for me of what he did with the fish and the loaves and feeding 5,000. Like, where in the world did all that extra food come from? It's miraculous provision from God. Jesus just provides. And then you add to all this stuff, this detail he throws in there that I think is really interesting, this detail that the net was not broken. It's 153 large fish, and the net was not broken. And why I mention that detail, I really don't know for sure. And it's probably not safe to always try to read into the details in Scripture. You can get in some trouble maybe doing that. But I think, uh, I think that maybe there's something in here for us to, to see, that maybe it could just be a further affirmation that when the limits seem to be reached, we do not have to worry about his ability to hold it all together. When it seems like you've reached the limits, there is provision in God to hold things together. I don't know, I may be reading that into the text, but I feel like that's also true, whether it's in the text or not. And so it's not just, you know, Jesus is providing these physical needs or whatever for them, but it's not just about catching fish. You know, if you remember uh, Jesus, when he called out some of these same guys to follow him in the beginning of his ministry, he called them and said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And so I think what's really being communicated here is that this task of fishing is is like representative or symbolic of what he's going to do through them in fishing for men and bringing people to himself. And I think what you see here is that with them and just their efforts, nothing is going to come of it. If it were just up to them and their abilities, nothing would, would come of it. But with Jesus, the harvest can exceed all expectations. So you see, with what Jesus is asking him to do, to be witnesses for them, he's going to bear fruit through that. You know, back a couple weeks ago, we read in John chapter 15, verse 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And I don't think the focus necessarily should be so much on our complete ineffectiveness apart from him, although that is true. I think the focus instead is actually more about if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. A lot of fruit can come from that. And it's not just the fruit of of sharing the faith with people and people believing. It's also just like generally simple obedience. You know, when he's talking to John 15, that's what he's talking about, obeying my commands, which includes sharing the gospel with people and bearing witness to who Jesus is. Jesus also told his disciples in chapter 14, verse 12, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. And so Jesus is saying in John 14, it's kind of in this, you know, three chapters that we did together, 14 through 16, where we talked about he's going away, but he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And I think what he's saying to them right here in John 14 is that, listen, you're going to do some amazing things in my name. You're going to do that through this Holy Spirit that I'm going to send, and this Holy Spirit is going to bear witness through you. 
And just because we weren't there when he called us, you know, we, we weren't there on the lakeside when he called these same people and said, you're going to be fishers of men, does not mean that we are not fishers of men and women. We too are called to bear witness and call other people to follow him. And we're not only called to that, but also called to this simple obedience to God. And apart from Jesus, apart from his work in his presence in the Holy Spirit, we could do none of that. It'd be fruitless effort trying to obey God and trying to bear witness to him without his help. But with him, we have everything we need. And I think that's the point I want us to grasp tonight is that, that when he is with us and walks with us, we will really bear fruit that he intends us to bear. You know, we may sometimes look at, at the things that are coming out of our lives or the, the obedience that we have or maybe our efforts and, or, or the things that are coming out of our life. We may not feel like there's a whole lot happening. But I can assure you that when you walk with the Lord, you may not always bear the fruit that you think you're going to bear, but you will absolutely bear the fruit that he intends for you to bear. And with Jesus, this can happen. He can bear fruit through you. And if you take this whole picture, we see that we have a God who gives us everything we need. He knows what we need. And sometimes we bring to him things that we want and we think it's needs, and he doesn't provide those. Not always. Right? Sometimes we bring things that we think we need, it's really just a want. But the thing is, he knows what we need, and he knows how to provide that for us. We have a good father in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus was laying this out in the Sermon on the Mount. 31 to 33, he said, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The thing is, if you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then everything else that you need, he will provide. He will guide you and bear fruit through you. We have this sovereign God as our Father, and I think we need to lean on that. And we need not worry over things. Because we have this spirit of God within us to enable us to bear spiritual fruit, but then also this Father God watching over us to guide us and give us everything we need physically. So we need to look to him to provide. And that's what this first prayer time is going to be about. I want us to spend some time and just a few minutes in prayer trusting God to provide everything we need. Because that's really what prayer is. Prayer is a declaration of trust. And it's not saying that I don't trust you, God, to come through on your own without me asking for us to go and ask God for things. Actually, when we go and ask God for things, it's like saying, God, I know you can provide these things. And I know if I'm asking for something that is not actually what I need, you will provide what I need, even though it may not be exactly what I want right now. It's a declaration of trust to pray and to bring these things to him. So here's how I want us to pray over the next few minutes. I've got a slide, and it'll just say, like, hey, pray these things. And I want us to spend maybe five minutes or so, just in the quiet, maybe be a little bit of music playing over the top just for us to get alone with the Lord. So here's the thing. I I want us to thank God for the provision he's already made for us. So as you pray first, the first thing I want you to pray about is thanking God for what he's already done for you. Salvation, for one. Thank God for salvation. Thank God for relationships he's given you, blessings he's given you, abilities he's given you, all the things he's brought you through up to this point. Thank God for these things, but then also bring needs to the Lord. Seek provision where it can be found, because with him, you have everything you need. Trust him to provide as he wills in the area of exams, in the area of projects, but also in the area of like finances, big decisions that you have to make, things that you're doing over the summer. Trust him for provision of peace 
of wisdom, of direction. And then finally, I want you to, to ask him to bear fruit in your life. Ask him to bear fruit in your life according to his will, to guide you into, into all obedience, and to provide simple opportunities for you to bear witness about him over the summer. So that's what I want you to do. Thank God for the provision he's already get, made for you. Bring your needs to the Lord and ask him to bear fruit in your life. All right, so a second thing for us that we see from this passage. Jesus reconciles us to himself so that we will follow him. Jesus reconciles us to himself so that we will follow him. Jesus, right now in this passage, is restoring Peter right in front of the other disciples. Okay, so in this conversation, the disciples, I feel like, are still around right there when he starts in verse 15, and he asks Peter right in front of him, do you love me more than these disciples love me? And Peter has to respond to that. And so Peter, you know, he denied knowing Jesus three times on the night of Jesus' trial. And here, three times, Jesus asked him, do you love me? And by the third time, you know Peter's got to be picking up on this. Like, oh, he's asking me three times because he knows, you know? And he says, says he's grieved the third time Jesus asks. But he just responds, you know? And, and he's right in his responses. I, I believe Peter really does love Jesus. And, and Peter really does love him, and Jesus knows that. And Jesus is here trying to restore Peter and restore this relationship and, and, and help Peter to know that everything is good between them, to renew this sense of calling for Peter. And I want you to know that he does the same for us. Okay, not only has he made reconciliation possible for us, reconciliation between us and our creator God, the one who made us. Jesus, over these last two weeks, you know, we've been talking about John 18 and 19 and then chapter 20. What Jesus did and accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection for us has made reconciliation possible. So the last week when we were talking about how he told Mary Magdalene, go tell the disciples that I've come and I'm ascending to uh, my father and your father, my God and your God. You know, we're talking about how the relationship has been restored that was meant to be there all along. We've been reconciled to God. And so he does that for us that we have an opportunity to have a relationship with God that we do not deserve. And so we admit that that is, that is something that, that is true for us. But I gotta say also that there's this ongoing work of Jesus through his spirit in our lives as Christians where he restores us when we've missed it, when we've messed up. I mean, how, do y'all know, how many of y'all know that you're not perfect? That even on this side of, of becoming a Christian, you still mess up all the time, right? We ought to know that, right? If you're disillusioned, you know, we need to talk. We could talk later. But it's, it's this recognition of what, what Jesus is doing right here that I think helps us. You know, we see, I think Jesus is trying to give us this example of what he does with Peter and understand that he's never done with us. Peter denied Jesus on the biggest night, you know, where he, where he had an opportunity to stand up and suffer with Jesus, and he, he wouldn't do it. The thing is, he's restoring Peter, and I think he wants us to know that there's never a point at which he takes back his call on us. He never takes back his call on us. He's never, never mind, you know, I don't, you messed up too bad. I'm done with you. Once you are his, you are always his. And he continues to have good things in mind for us. Real life, if we will remain in him, and praise be to God, he's going to make sure that we remain in him by his spirit in us. And he's going to restore us again and again along the way. And yet at the same time, there's a real calling, a calling for Peter. Jesus isn't out there like, you know what, it's fine, just keep denying me, you know, whenever you want and we'll be good. 
No, he says, he restores him, but then he says, follow me. And there's a real call on us to really follow him and not be constantly denying Jesus with our lives. You know, each one of us is called to follow Jesus. And I think that's what he's communicating here with Peter. Peter, hey, Peter, I know you love me. Our relationship is secure, fully restored. You're good, but now follow me. And I think he would turn and say the same thing to us. You know, and, and not all of us have the same calling that Peter had. Peter's going to go on. He's going to be a major voice in the beginning of the church. You know, he's going he's to share the gospel on Pentecost, and people are going to come to faith. And, and then he's called to shepherd, clearly, when you read the things that he tells Peter to do after Jesus, you know, after he answers the question, you know, do you love me? He always, he's been saying, feed my lambs and tend my sheep and all this stuff. He's got a real responsibility as a shepherd of the early church in a way that we don't. You know, some of us might be called to be shepherds, but not quite in, in exactly the same way that Peter was. You know, in the sense that this is the beginning of the church. But also, he was called to be a martyr. He was killed for, for Jesus, killed for following Jesus and preaching Jesus. Well, that's what we read about in verse 18 and 19. And so our calling may not look exactly like Peter's. Following Jesus may not look exactly like it did for Peter, but there are some things about the call to follow Jesus that are the same for us as it was for Peter. Because we may not be martyred on account of Jesus. But in a very real sense, there's a kind of death that we all face in following Jesus. A dying to ourselves. Now when we come to faith in Christ, we not only confess our need of him as a savior, but we confess him as Lord over our lives. So that we die to this sense of like false lordship that we want to take for ourselves over our own life. Our sin nature in us just warps this, this thing where we, we become self-interested, we become, uh, you know, like all about ourselves, self-centered, self-seeking. We feel like we have to self-preserve. But man, when we come to Christ, we can't always be looking out for ourselves and living for ourselves and letting, letting us think that we can lord over our own lives. Because the truth is, when we don't have the true lord over our life, something else is lord over our life, whether we think that we are or not. You know, something that Scripture communicates to us is that you, you chase after sin and live for sin. The sin actually rules over you, not you ruling over it. So we've got to die to that way of living. And yet, what feels like dying in one sense is really a coming to life. This dying a death of following Jesus and, and dying to ourselves, really, it really means a new and different kind of life. Jesus communicated this in Matthew 16 where he said, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses my, his life for my sake will find it. Jesus said he came that we may have abundant life, and that's exactly what he intends to give us. And so as we walk through this form of death, this death to ourselves, we're actually walking into a new and more fulfilling life. And there's one, one more aspect of Peter's conversation with Jesus here that I want us to consider. And Jesus says, follow me, and Peter turns around and says, well, what about him? What about, what about John back there? And Jesus' response is really interesting. He's, he's more or less saying, you don't worry about him. You follow me. And I, I'm not trying to like go after Peter here. I don't think like I don't think Peter's intentionally deflecting and like trying not to focus things on himself. I think he's probably genuinely curious. But Jesus is telling him this information is not what you need to know to, con to continue to follow me. You don't have to have that kind of information of what's going to go on with John in order for you to just say, yes, I'll follow you. And I think you might say the same thing to us when we look around and compare ourselves with other believers. 
it can be so tempting for us to try to gauge how we're doing based on the perception that we have or that we gather about what other people are at. We can think, oh, I'm good with God because I'm good with God better than that so-and-so over there. Or maybe we think too little of ourselves and little of what God is doing because we look at other people and we think that they're so much farther than, they, than we are. There's so much more good happening in their life than in my life. Maybe God's not even at work in my life. That is not what we're called to do. Paul actually warns against this kind of thing in Galatians 6.4. He says, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. The point is, when Jesus calls us to follow him, our first thought doesn't need to be how our following him lines up with other people's following him. There's some things about our calling that are universal. Every single one of us called to follow. Every single one of us called to holiness, called to bear witness, called to make disciples. All of us called to those things. But there's also a sense in which every single one of us is uniquely called because of the people that we're connected to, the abilities that we have, the location where we are, like wherever we're located and the abilities and the giftings that we've been given, prepare us for good works. And Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, it says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him or walk in them. And the reason I bring that up is because I think God has good works in mind for each one of us to walk in as we follow him. And it's not gonna look exactly the same as everybody else's. And so when we look at other people and we try to gauge where we're at based on how we compare with other people, we're missing the point. And I think Jesus would say to us, no, don't worry about what following me looks like for them, what's going to happen in their life, what kind of fruit they're going to bear. Worry about following me yourself. Trust me enough to know that I'm going to bear the fruit that I intend to bear in your life if you will follow me. I think that's the lesson for us, that like Peter, we don't need to trouble ourselves with what someone else is going to do or someone else is going to experience. And so as you think over this last year, and as you look forward to the summer, you might be tempted to line yourself up against other people and feel either underwhelmed or feel a sense of pride. And I would say, what if instead we just said, I'm going to follow Jesus from this point forward and trust that he's going to bear the fruit that he chooses to in my life? And that's what this next prayer time is going to get at. So here's how I want us to pray. I got four things in mind that over the next five or so minutes, I want us to just sit and pray through. First, I want us to pray for a willingness to follow Jesus in simple obedience. Whatever following him looks like. You know, there's those things that are basic to all of us. If we're not following Jesus in simple obedience, the things that are clear and obvious, how do we expect that he's going to give us big things to do? How do you expect he's going to bear fruit when you bear witness about him or when you try to disciple somebody else? If you're not walking in simple obedience, the things that are obvious to us. So it may, need, may mean that you need to spend this time in repentance and saying, Jesus, I recommit myself to following you in simple obedience. Pray too for help from God to see what you are uniquely gifted in position to do. Pray for God's help. Third, not to compare your summer plans and experiences with other people. And then pray for open eyes to see how God might want to use you this summer. And so as I'm thinking, like, you're about to head off into all kinds of different places, all kinds of different things this summer. No matter what it is that you're going to do, God can use you.